And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. You are listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about today's issues from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. Without God, democracy will not and cannot long endure. We ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Here's your host, Wade Lentz and Harold Smith. Thank you for joining us on the Patriot Pastor Podcast today. I'm your co-host, Harold Smith. We have a real treat today. My co-host, Wade Lentz, is going to be sitting down with Pastor Lauren Dick of Northern Alberta. And they're going to be discussing a little bit of everything about what's going on in Canada. You don't have to be a genius to know that politically things are in bad shape in Canada. Uh, Pastor James Coates was imprisoned in Canada last year, and there is currently a protest in Ottawa, Canada by truckers. The Prime Minister of Canada has doubled down on his statement to end this, calling these peaceful protests terrorist and the state of of just the pandemic, the COVID pandemic in Canada has reached a level I never thought I would see in my lifetime. I've been to Canada on a couple of different occasions, spent a week there each time, one time bear hunting and fishing. Another time I was um, waterfowl hunting. I always thought growing up that if things got bad in America, I'd just move to Canada, get a bigger coat. Uh, to handle the winters, and that would be the place to live. But boy, history has really shown that I would have been wrong in doing that. So let's join Pastor Wade and Pastor Lauren as they discuss a whole array of topics and really give you a firsthand look at what's going on in Canada and a pastor's perspective. And let's learn from what's happening in Canada, because as you well know, it's just a matter of time before that same mindset spills over into America. So let's join Wade and Lauren right now. You know, so much has happened throughout the world in the last couple of years throughout this pandemic. I wanted to speak to someone who is really dealing with it in the thick of it, you could say, uh, going through a very difficult time. Canada, if you watch the news, if you know what's going on, they have for a couple of years now really been under the, the heavy arm of tyranny all of a sudden. And I wanted to get a, uh, a firsthand look as to what is happening. And I have Lauren Dick, who is resides in Alberta, Canada. And when I say Alberta, Canada, he's not in the southern part of Alberta, Canada. He is in the northern part of Alberta, Canada. And he is uh, in the very cold regions of Canada, something that those of us who live in the south part of the United States know nothing about. So, Lauren, it's good to have you joining us today at the Patriot Pastors Podcast. How are you doing? Doing well, Wade. And it's, uh, I appreciate you guys having me on. And 
was hoping that uh, Pastor Mike could join us as well and scheduling and stuff just didn't allow for it, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yes. I hate that he's not able to be here. Maybe at some other point we can uh, have him join us. Absolutely. Yes. Hey, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. My, uh, I live in La Crete, Alberta, which is way up north. And as Matt Slick put it one time, uh, this, uh, the, the temperature is here, but as cold as a Democrat's heart, which, uh, <laughs> we can understand yes. is, is, uh, to be quite cold and in, in, uh, Canada here, we might say as a liberal's heart, it's Justin Trudeau's heart. Right. Right. I'm married to my wife, Amanda. We, we have four boys. The oldest is 12 and the youngest is six. We, I, I work in, in the community here. I'm a health and safety and risk control manager for a logging and construction company. And I serve and uh, worship at Grace Bible Fellowship of Lacrete, a church plant that we planted about coming up on three years ago now. We applied through Grace Advance and ended up having Pastor Mike Hovland and, and his mm-hmm. family move up here. And Pastor Mike leads our church now. He's full-time ministry. He, he preaches and teaches there. And, and myself, as well as uh, three other gentlemen who are currently in the elder training with Pastor Mike there for, for the church. So we're excited about that. We're excited. Yes. We've seen a lot of growth and see where the Lord takes us. Praise the Lord for that. You said you're married to Amanda and you have four boys. We have Correct. a lot in common. My wife is named Amanda and we have four boys. So <laughs> I understand what you're, what you're going through. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. The beard, you, the glasses, everything running. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Now you guys are a part of, you have a podcast called Abiding in the Word. You are part of the Christian podcast community, which our podcast, the Patriot Pastors podcast, just recently joined the Christian podcast community. Tell us about y'all's podcast. Yeah. So the Abide in the Word podcast was something that we started um, about a year ago. It's been, we don't have a whole lot of episodes, you know, just with scheduling. And then especially last year, kind of with the arrest of Pastor James Coates, and we'll be discussing that a little bit later, I believe. But the uh, Mike was still an elder at Grace Life Church at that point. So this last spring and, and really into early summer, Time has just been very limited, a lot of stuff going on with what's going on in Canada and the church and the church plant and, and all those kinds of things. So it's been a little limited in, in uh, content that we've been able to put out at this point. Our, our goal mm-hmm. was but one per month. And so we're, we're definitely a little bit behind that, but we're hoping to, you know, life will settle down a little bit and, and we'll be able to do a little bit more. But the goal really of the podcast is, you know, as the, as the title um, kind of it, it says, abide in the word and to look at God's word and to, to use it as a medium for teaching uh, doctrine and theology. And, and, you know, when, when we did our church plant in our community uh, a few years back, there was a lot of kind of concern regarding mm-hmm. the doctrines that, that, that we would teach. And even leading up to it, it was something a lot of people would have concerns about these things, but very few people actually knew what it was that a person believed or taught. And it was something that I thought of at that point would be just a great way to, to get some teaching out there and, even if if people wouldn't necessarily agree, they'd at least understand maybe where yeah. where we stood on some things. And and so when we ended up uh, hiring uh, Pastor Mike, and I I reached out to him and asked him if he'd be interested in maybe working on this with me at some point. And so we kind of started some of the early planning stages with that, and mm-hmm. and we started. And then yeah, we too were fortunate enough to to get accepted onto the Christian podcast community here. Actually, only a few months ago. Okay, so we're quite new there as well, which which has been good. It gives us. Uh, 
you know, even contacts like this yourselves and, sure, and others and, sure. and just that another, another way of, of maybe reaching more people with some of the content that, that gets put out there and mm-hmm. providing uh, hopefully God glorifying teaching and discussion for the church. Right. Right. Yeah. The thing that for, for me and Harold, it, it gives us an opportunity to talk about things that really don't have the time to talk about maybe in a church setting. So it gives us an, another avenue of teaching our people about certain doctrines. If we're, if we're speaking on a theological subject or something like we're going to be talking about today, which is, as I said earlier, so much has happened in the last couple of years when this pandemic started, it it's really has changed the world. There's really no, no doubt about that. It has affected some countries harder than others. America has been affected. Some states have been affected more than others. Canada has, I believe, been more affected by the mandates and all this, uh, I would call tyranny. I want us to, to talk about going back two years, pandemic has just started. Y'all started receiving the orders, I guess. I don't know how it worked from the prime minister or uh, the, the leaders saying, hey, we don't want y'all to, to meet together and have a service. So let's go back to that time where you received that word, you're not supposed to meet in a service. How did you guys handle that? Early on, so about two years ago when when the pandemic first came out and, and people were, we were quite unaware of what it actually was, to what degree this would affect our daily lives and everything like that. And so when when the government's first put out the uh, the mandate to to seize all public gatherings, and it wasn't at that point limited only to church gathering or anything like that. We were in a bit of a position where, because we don't have our own facility, we were renting a community facility, the local here, the, the municipality. And so we ended up having to uh, live stream from home. We, we didn't even have the option of, of still gathering or not. The facility was closed off to us as it was to the rest of the public. Mm-hmm. And so we started with live streaming at that point we quickly kind of recognized that it wasn't what the government had maybe potentially at first told us it was, or a lot of the health organizations were, but at the same time, you were starting to get a sense fairly quick here in Canada that, um, you know, the fear of a pandemic in people's minds was giving a lot of the politicians a lot of extra power. And and you could tell fairly quickly that they were really enjoying that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then early on after that, I think that was about five weeks, and then they opened up again here in Alberta. And our premier at that time took a hard stand that he would not enforce mandates and restrictions again because it was too damaging to the economy, to people's well-being. You know, we were thankful for that at at that time. We all know that story changed, right? Right. Yeah, And it's amazing how these things start out small, and then as there is compliance to those mandates, then the mandates gets more overreaching and they just keep getting, yeah. there's just more and more loss of freedom. Well, and even, even on that, right. The, the intent of the smaller mandates was to control the spread of the virus. Right. And as we all know, it did nothing of the sort. And so if they, if they've instilled this mindset that this virus has to be controlled and we have to protect the people from it and their, the mandates and the restrictions that they put in, they start small, they smart, start low. And if it's not doing what they, they want it to, well, 
either we tell people, hey, you don't have to be scared after all, or they continue to try to pile on and pile on, which is what we ended up especially seeing in Canada here. Um, it just kept piling on and piling on because, you know, two weeks to slow the slow the spread, two weeks to flatten the curve. We all we all know that where that ended up, right? Oh, so so that was in Canada too. I thought that was just an American slogan. <laughs> we heard we heard all that wonderful rhetoric as well. Up oh here. wow. Wow. Two weeks to flatten the curve, two weeks to slow the spread. Those were very, very common sayings from our health officials and politicians as well. Wow. So yeah, things just start escalating. And you know, it's not too long after those first mandates that we start getting word that they're arresting pastors. You know, they're shutting down churches. Uh, I had an opportunity to talk with, visit with James Coates and me and other pastors a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. Do you know James Coates? Do you? How did his stand affect the churches in that area? Well, they um, it definitely had a big impact on the churches. For in a lot of areas, what it did is it it banded a lot of. Um, pastors, churches, believers together to stand for truth. You know, at the end of the day, there were a lot of different approaches people had to it. There were those who um, maybe didn't agree with his stand. You know, maybe this isn't a hill to die on, those kinds of things. But it still upset them that, you know, we were still living in a so-called free society where a pastor whose right to pastor a church and follow his conscience are protected by the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And he was now imprisoned for not being willing to go against his conscience. And I know some of our local politicians. So you asked earlier if I knew James Coates. I do know him personally um, a little bit. Uh, we we have visited uh, multiple times. And as well, our pastor came from Grace Life Church there. So there's a connection there as well that we share and kind of consider ourselves to be sister churches in that regard, I guess, here mm-hmm. with, with our church and their church. Right. But... When it came to um, how a lot of people reacted and, and responded to it, for a lot of churches, it gave them the courage to stand, and especially with the social media onslaught that happened after that, and it became a pretty widespread um, so-called fight on social media. You know, a lot of people from around the world were reaching out and and uh, putting a lot of pressure on the local governments and stuff like that. And so a lot of churches kind of gained some, how would I put it, um, some extra courage through that, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, to to see what what he was willing to to put up with, and then because of that, the the, the sermons that he preached also became quite popular, mm-hmm. and a lot of downloads. A lot of people were listening to it, and, and I think there were some powerful sermons that he preached that ended up going viral, and and also offered a lot of hope and encouragement to people in regards to the role of the church. Um, when is the church supposed to submit to the government? When is it not? And then ultimately, you know, just the discomfort that it gave a lot of people that we now lived in a so-called free society. And again, the province of Alberta here in Canada has often kind of been viewed as the Texas of the North, right? Oh, More, wow. you know, kind of a free conservative uh, oil oil field mm-hmm. country, right? right? Right. And now in our province, a pastor has been arrested for following his conscience. And it was just unheard of. And and I know some of the politicians here, well, our premier, Jason Kenney, as well as our local MLA, who uh, stands, that stands for the uh, member of legislative assembly, which is our local representative that we vote for in our provincial elections. And then Jason Kenney being the leader of the party. But both of them kind of responded with, 
you know, well, James Colts should have, he, he has the option to be out of jail. All he needs to do is sign this document and, and he's refusing. So really, really it's in his hands. It's it's his decision. And, and that's, I told our, our local politician here as well. I said, but that's, you know, that's really the difference between a, a man like James Coates, a pastor like him, and most politicians. A politician can go against his conscience if it means making life more comfortable or, you know, mm-hmm. easing things up. For a pastor like that, when the word of God is the guide of and what forms your conscience, you, you can't just sign that off just to not be in prison. Yeah. So, yeah, there is a degree in which it was his choice, but his choice was still at that point, it was still to either follow his conscience that had been shaped and formed by the word of God or sign this document because of government coercion, because of government overreach in order to maintain his freedom. So either even had he done that, the essence of a free society still is not does not exist in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yes. In that uh, meeting I had, we had with James Coates, he was telling us about a, a new Canadian bill. I believe it was called C4. That is just crazy when I heard this bill, how this bill was going to be, what this law was. Can you tell us a little bit about that C4 law and how that will affect or could affect churches? Absolutely. Yeah. So Bill C-4 is a law um, to ban conversion therapy. And when we speak of conversion therapy, it's for the LGTBQ. XYZ. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. With whatever other part of the alphabet they've decided to throw in there at this point. Um, But even there, again, it only targets one side. You know, if a child comes out and says they maybe, you know, a, a young boy feels like a girl, there's no law banning people from trying to convert him to a girl. It's only converting to to their gender of birth, right? Right. In fact, the, the preamble reads, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society because, among other things, it is based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions. Mm. So the preamble of the, of the bill comes out and basically says a biblical worldview of sexuality is a myth and a stereotype. This is now written into the laws of our country and the laws of our nation, that a wow. biblical worldview in regards to sexuality are to be considered a myth. And so what this... Um, Bill did what Bill C4 did is amends the Criminal Code of Canada to create the following as offenses causing another person to undergo conversion therapy. Mm. So it is a criminal offense to cause someone else to undergo a conversion therapy. It is a criminal offense doing anything for the purpose of removing a child from Canada with the intention that that child undergo conversion therapy. So as a parent if it's if you cannot have conversion therapy of any kind occur in Canada it is now a criminal offense for for me to remove my child from this country to seek help and so and and as we know the uh even here in the language it is criminal offense to promote or advertise conversion therapy so this is a a, a great question and pastor mike and myself addressed um this in a uh, podcast that we did on bill c4 when it first kind of came out and we talk about this so so what's promoting or advertising conversion therapy is is praying about it during a church service is teaching against homosexuality all these things so it really it criminalizes just in in the broad sense of the language it creates the potential to criminalize basic biblical teaching 
Right. And in that regard, the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms in Canada protects the freedoms of religion, of opinion, of conscience, and of those things. A bill like this criminalizes that. So it really, in essence, it overrules that because now it states that the Christian teaching and doctrine in that area is a danger to society because it's a it's based on myth and stereotypes and where so it impacts other people. And so then it, it really criminalizes the, the biblical teaching and preaching as well yes. of biblical sexuality. Not only does it classify it or qualify it as a myth or a stereotype, but now it also goes so far in the broad language of this to criminalize it potentially. Now that said, there there this bill is now passed. It is it is law in Canada. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, the uh the section for promoting or advertising conversion therapy is placed under the same section in the Criminal Code of Canada in which it condemns child pornography. That's wow. That's that's the part of the criminal code where they 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 place this, right? Yeah. To promote child pornography on the internet and to promote advertising of conversion therapy are are under the same portion of the Criminal Code of Canada. My goodness. And it just gives a bit of an idea of the demented state, which I think we all probably would agree on, that that comes with this kind of progressive liberalism the mindset where God's ways are not seen as as certain, you know, and again, right here, as they're seen as myths and stereotypes. Right. And so these things, I'm sure, will have their day in court before, you know, especially pastors and stuff get arrested for something like this. But, mm-hmm. you know, the precedent's been set. Pastors have been arrested. And I know after the third pastor being arrested here in Alberta, um, Alberta set their record for most pastors arrested in a so-called democratic free society merely for following their conscience in regards to worship service, right? Yeah. And so with that precedent being set, the the lay of the land is it's been laid out. We if the if the courts decide to to enact on these things and stuff, then yeah, basically any pastor, any parent, any Christian as a whole that that promotes or or speaks of of the gospel, even sharing the gospel with with a homosexual person could be viewed as conversion sure. therapy, right? And yeah, and it's like I, I appreciated what Mike said in the podcast episode that we did as well. You know, as Christians, our our goal isn't to put someone through a conversion therapy process. You know, the twelve steps to mm-hmm. to identify finding your gender or, or whatever it may be. Um, as Christians, our goal, you know, we believe Christ can convert anyone, right? Um, he can he can change the heart, and that's where the the matter lies. It's it's a sin nature, and and so our concern isn't trying to convince someone who professes to be gay that he's not, or someone who thinks he's a that he's actually a boy, or or vice versa. Our goal is to convert these people to Christ. That that these people would look to Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, that He would change their hearts, that he would change their desires and, and remove these these uh, sinful desires from them. But in that, because the gospel shared properly with, say, a homosexual or with a transgender person is, in a sense, depending what language you use, you are mm-hmm. promoting conversion therapy. Right. You are trying to encourage them to change right. that way. And so that's where a lot of the concerns have come out, is that just simply sharing the gospel with people like this could be qualified as a criminal offense in our country now. Exactly. And, and what's so crazy is this this bill did not, to to my knowledge, receive any opposition, correct? 
That was, uh, I think, one of the things that had a lot of people quite discouraged. And and one thing that we've said, and I, I know I've, I've had this position for a while, that in Canada, we don't have a liberal um, party and a conservative party. We have liberal and liberal light. Our, our conservative party is basically conservative economically. They're, they're economically conservative when it comes to, you know, the mining of natural resources, oil, gas, forestry, those kinds of things. Conservative Party is, is definitely more conservative that way. The Liberal Party, it's all about climate change and uh, green energy and, and, and all that um, stuff when it comes to the economy. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the uh, things uh, like abortion, homosexuality, uh, those kinds of things, our Conservative Party is, isn't conservative at all. Right. They don't have Christian, Christian standards in that. And all that said, there are some good MPs. So on the federal level, uh, the representatives that we vote for, the members of parliament, um, even our local one, our local MP, he's a he's a conservative evangelical Christian, and, and to the best of my knowledge, I have no reason to doubt that. Mm-hmm. Now, I reached out to him after that uh, election had happened, and I asked him about the fact that no conservatives had voted against it, and basically his response was that with the Liberal Party and the New Democratic Party also being a socialistic, liberal, progressive political party in, a, in Canada here. Mm-hmm. With both of them supporting the bill, the Conservative Party basically recognized that it would pass no matter what. And so they had just jumped on board with voting it through because they felt the Liberal Party was going to, was expecting them to fight it, which would then create major delays and distractions. And then in the meantime, they would be trying to push through other smaller legislation. And so their approach had been, let's push this through. It'll pass anyway. Let's push it through so that we can deal with these other things that we can actually change. And then we'll deal with the wording and the the scope of Bill C-4 once it's in place. Right Now, right. I would still disagree with that approach. I believe it's foolish to uh, support any legislation that directly blasphemes God and God and his order, right. especially for those that are professing Christians, right? Sure. That's that's just unbelievable. The Canadians' form of, of government is a democracy, correct? I, I believe I can still say that. <laughs> the, the last on, I checked, on, anyway. On paper, it is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how often do you vote in a prime minister? Election is... Always set for every four years, okay. unless the uh, sitting prime minister calls an early election, uh, which we actually just saw last fall with Justin Trudeau. So during the time of the pandemic, right, when, you know, countries falling apart and we're all yeah. supposed to stay indoors and not do anything because our lives are at risk, he goes and calls an election uh-huh. because he had, a, he had a minority government and he felt that this would be an opportunity to uh, snag a majority government. So he uses something like this pandemic but if, if we believe that the COVID-19 is is pandemic worthy or not the the economy is struggling people are struggling there's so much stuff going on and right in the middle of that he calls an election a federal election in order to try to gain a political advantage right mm-hmm. just about as corrupt and wicked a man as, as a person can can think of at this point with with him yes and and with a child's mentality like just in, oh, immature yeah. Like just unbelievable when you listen to some of his stuff and, and and see his his interviews and news conferences, it's it's embarrassing right. to say the least. And I think you guys are somewhat familiar with that, with who you guys have a power there and oh, Joe Biden. Sure. But 
Absolutely. It's, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. But yeah, so the he called an early election, and mm-hmm. he ended up he did get elected again, but not a majority government. So at least we're thankful for that. Wow, it it is crazy to see all this uh, this you know this protest, this truckers for freedom protest. Um, yeah. Do you, do you see any big trucks out on the road? Are, are they all yeah. in Ottawa, or is it uh, just a portion? Oh, the, the trucks that are in Ottawa are a very small percentage of the trucks that are in Canada. Yeah. But at the same time, it's a very good representation. Right. Um, a lot of truckers, I know even from our community. So in our, from our community, there's three trucks, I believe, down there. Mm-hmm. And that's a long way. We're, we're on the west end of the country and up north and Ottawa is kind of southeast, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, um, we actually just had a, a, uh, tour bus from our community filled with passengers from here, head down there. It took them four days, 12 hours of driving. I think it's about 4,200 kilometers. Now I'd have to do some quick math to know exactly what that was in miles. But at the end of the day, they, they drove four days, 12 hours per day to get there. Yeah. And, uh, so the trucks that are there, it's overwhelming the city. It, It is. Sure. Um, there's still a lot of trucks that are out driving and I know a lot of them that support those that are down there, mm-hmm. right? It's just not everyone can go, but it is a good representation. You know, when Justin Trudeau initially kind of made the comment when this trucker pro, uh, convoy started and he made the comment that it's just a fringe minority. Yeah. Ironically, that fringe minority now caused him to enact the emergencies emergency act in Canada, right? Which basically gives him unprecedented power. Uh, you know, that sounds like a pretty big fringe minority. Right. What is the uh, the goal of these of these truckers? They're they're wanting to end the the vaccine mandates that has impacted only them, or all the vaccine mandates that affects the entirety of the citizens of Canada. Is there is there a specific mandate vaccine mandate that has been placed upon truckers? The one that is specific to truckers would be cross border traveling for the uh, truckers that would be hauling in and out of the United States. Okay. Um, that one would be more specific to truckers, but their goal with this is not just to end their mandates, to open up the highways for them. Their goal is to end mandates. They're Mm -hmm. standing, they're fighting for freedoms for all of Canadians, including those that don't like what they're doing. Right. Right. Um, We saw, we saw the same thing with James Coates and and Tim Stevens when they were arrested, you know, many people were, uh, I I read an article just the other day again, yet of of a pastor in Calgary that that was telling them that they were making a mockery of the body of Christ by, by taking a stand for (laughs) their worship services. Right. Mm -hmm. And ironically what that pastor maybe should recognize is that because of these men, he might be free to live another day. Right. Yeah. Because of, because of the work that these men do. And it's the same thing with the truckers. A lot of people are, um, upset at what's happening, they kind of the, you know, we do live in a quite a liberal country, but what they need to recognize is their own freedoms are also being destroyed apart from people like the truckers taking a stand for them. So the truckers mm-hmm. right now, their goal, their, their stated goal is that the government remove all COVID-19 restrictions and mandates right. that affect our whole country. Yeah. Not just, not just their industry. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that is so, so sad. Uh, I mean, of course he has been on tape, uh, on video saying that these truckers are terrorists. Uh, yeah. he has stated that pre in previous years, I believe during his maybe campaign, he said that, uh, he really 
like the way China had their form of dictatorship. So there were little hints, you know, years ago, really, if people would have listened, they would not be shocked to see what they're seeing now. And uh, here's a guy that really loves power, and this is his opportunity to seize it. Well, when Justin Trudeau was first elected into uh, government, he uh, he set free, he put in motion, there was a, a condemned known terrorist that he felt had been mistreated by our our legal system. Mm. Even though he was condemned, and, and, and even the terrorist that doesn't deny it, he released him and the government of Canada gave him $10 million in taxpayers' money oh as a, I'm sorry, right? Wow. The trucker convoy protest through GoFundMe had raised $10 million. They seized that. Mm-hmm. He gives known terrorists $10 million, but he seizes money that people give to a peaceful protest. Also, when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening, I mean, we didn't see it to the extent in Canada, as you guys saw down in the U.S., but there were some protests that were happening here as well in some of the bigger cities. And it was right during the time where Justin Trudeau had shut down and all the provinces were shutting down any open gatherings, any anything like that. Justin Trudeau went and physically participated in the Black Lives Matter protest. Mm-mm-mm. And yet the trucker protest, he's calling in the Emergency War Act. Wow. This man hates peace. He hates freedom. Yes. He is he is a tyrant to the heart. He he hates the idea of people being able to choose for themselves. That choice might disagree with him and he is willing to go to whatever extent he needs to to destroy your freedom. Mm. You know, and, and that's what I told some people the other day up here. Just think about it. He's he's calling in the Emergencies Act to end the, the protests in the convoy. Yeah. All all he would have to do is give you your freedoms back. Right. But right. he is so opposed to restoring the freedoms of the people that he's willing to enact the War Emergencies Act mm-hmm. to uh, to deal with it and send people to jail. Sure. As a Canadian, how, how do you believe that this is going to end? However, the Lord wills. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that might yes. be our only hope, our right. only uh, confidence that we have, right? Yes. Um, how do I see it ending? It's It's hard to say at this point. I do know... That the political uprising, I, I do believe that there, it's, it's creating a bigger impact than the mainstream media would allow anyone to see, mm-hmm. because you know even just knowing uh, some of the people that are on on the ground in Ottawa right now, they're saying too, like it's peaceful there. Even some of the citizens from Ottawa are saying their crime rates have never been this low in downtown Ottawa because there's so many people there. The right. convoy has actually sure. been good for them that way. Yes, yeah. it interrupts. Uh, economy it, it interrupts uh travel to work and, and those yes. kinds of things but it's creating a lot more noise than what the mainstream media would would want us to believe right it's um so i know a lot of the provincial leaders have have caved to it um mm-hmm. if any of them would end up hearing something like this podcast and me saying that they would all say no we didn't we followed the science and the science is now saying that we can lift restrictions and mandates and yet somehow when the pressure from the convoy came on all these <laughs> premiers who've been destroying society and shutting us down for two years all of a sudden come see the light right and, and yes. they're starting to lift them on a federal level I am firmly convinced that Justin Trudeau will fight this as long as he possibly politically can. Right. He right. he does not want to lose the power that mm-hmm. he has. He does not. He has made a lot of threats over the years. He has 
a lot of name calling people that didn't agree. Like even just when it came to the position of not taking the COVID vaccine, they were conspiracy theorists. They were akin to terrorists. They were a menace to society. Right. This is the kind of rhetoric and division that he has spewed. And, and a lot of the premiers as well for the last two years, our own premier, Jason Kenney, people that opposed his mandates, he publicly went out and they were unhinged conspiracy theorists. And yet, when he comes to our community, he says very clearly that he agrees with our positions and views. Sure. Right? That's that's the thing. We know it's not just an opinion. We know firsthand that most of these politicians don't actually believe that the pandemic is as dangerous as they say it is mm-hmm. because they tell us that behind closed doors. Right. And so why spew the lies in the rhetoric then? Because it gives them power. It gives them control. And then especially someone who is as sick-minded, if I can put it that way, as Justin Trudeau. I firmly believe that he will fight this as long as he can. So how will it play out apart from other parties and stuff starting to apply more pressure or maybe even the Liberal Party seeing that, hey, we're going to get destroyed with Trudeau in power and and then removing him? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I hope it turns out. I, I, I hope that's how it ends up. I'm not I don't believe that uh, Trudeau should just be removed from power or, or the party. I I'm convinced he should be in jail. He's absolutely. He's, Yes, he's broken so many laws. You know, even before his last election, he's the only prime minister we've ever had that's been found guilty by our ethics commission for violating ethics as a prime minister multiple times, and yet wow. he still gets elected. Right? I didn't didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, it's nobody's. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, he's he's a child in a man's body, and sure, and, sure. and not even a, a well behaved child. Right. Well, I, it it is imperative that uh, these protests continue until the mandates are lifted. Because if the government, if Trudeau wins this and he gets his way, he uh, abuses his power, then that will be the governance from this day forward. And uh, if Canada falls to tyranny, then, then all of the Western civilization is, could fall. And um, this is a, a, a a big moment in time. And, and I applaud these truckers for, for taking a stand. And I, I believe you might have tweeted this uh, earlier, but if the pastors would have taken the stand that these truckers are now taking, we, we may not have been even to this point right here. Uh, but most of them just complied. And because of their cowardice, now you have truckers doing what the pastors should have done months ago. Yeah. And that's something, you know, we, we all, I think would agree on in a, in a country like Canada or, or the United States, you know, the people still to an extent hold the power, mm-hmm. right? Um, if the people, if, if the majority refuses to follow the rules and the mandates, then they'll leave, then they'll, they'll end. I know one, uh, higher political figure in our province in Alberta, when Jason Kenney implemented the mandates that ended up seeing James Coates arrested, he told me, oh, right, that if the people, the mandates will end when the people decide it will end. Right. But that's why the government has to instill so much fear into the people and because then the people will follow, right? Right. And so with that, I, I agree completely. It is imperative at this point that that the, the protests continue. And yet I find myself to be in a position where when you're facing arrest or loss of employment or your livelihood, your business, you hardly can fault those that feel they need to back down or, or to step down. Sure. But that's where they need the support of the people, right? They need to right. see that the people are behind them, that 
that even if it costs them now a bit, and, and I appreciate that about uh, James Coates' experience and, and Tim Stevens as well, they they made a big sacrifice, but they knew at that point they didn't necessarily have the support of so many people. And, and James especially wasn't aware of a lot of what was going on while he was in prison and, and how mm-hmm. this ended up going worldwide and, and just the impact it was having. Right. But that's where we have to be vocal. That's where we need to reach out and I think often share these kinds of things through the medium of social media and, and those kinds of things to, to to put it out there so that people see they have the support of the people. Yes. Give them the courage to to keep standing. Um, because exactly like you said, at this point, it's been pushed to the to the limit. It's it's come it's come to a head, right? Mm-hmm. Between Justin Trudeau and the and the protest. And it'll it'll be quite telling where this will go from here, depending on which side caves, if I can use that term. Right, right. Right. And so it's, it is, it is important. It is crucial. And and I know that's where our prayers are too, for the people, first of all, for, for safety. We know there's, there's reports of people kind of coming into the protest to try to stir, stir it up so that it looks worse than it is. Um, anybody who does listen to this podcast, I've, I've heard from people directly on the ground there in Ottawa, there, there isn't, it is not a violent protest. The people are singing together, they're hugging, they're linking arms, they're standing there. There is no looting and, you know, it's not like a peaceful protest like CNN would put it with burning buildings and looting and and beating up people. Right. So But if they can demonize the protesters, then then they'll have the support of the people, right? Right. Same right. way, if they can instill the fear of the of the virus into the people, then they'll have the support of the people to, to put in yes. mandates and restrictions, whatever is possible, right? Mm-hmm. And we kind of live in a in a time in society where many people have been raised kind of with that, forgive the stereotype, but the millennial mindset, where you know the government owes me, everybody owes me, uh, kind of a, a very self entitled mindset. Right. And and so and I know and I'm speaking of here in Canada specifically, you know, a lot of people in the country we live, you know, the taxes we pay through healthcare and those things, people are kind of raised thinking it's the government's responsibility to take care of me and to mm-hmm. to make these decisions for me. So we were we were living in a nation primed when this pandemic came to hand over that power to the government because it's their job. And if all they had to do was instill that fear into uh people's minds sure then uh that's all it took right right it's it's the same thing here if he can demonize the convoys if they can make it look like these people are a danger to society so we're doing whatever we need to to protect you well then a lot of people will fall for it again yes well let's especially watch the main media (laughs) sure sure let's end this uh interview on a positive encouraging note you and i both uh believe in the absolute sovereignty of the lord uh this pandemic, uh, these mandates, these, this protest of what's going on in Ottawa right now is, has not taken the Lord by surprise. He is in complete control. Uh, what would you have to say to pastors in Canada or pastors and Christians in the United States who are looking on and seeing this, uh, take place before their eyes in Canada? How would you encourage them in the Lord today? One, exactly as you said, the Lord is sovereign. He is in control. And so when we look at, you know, even the governors, the the governments that are in place, we know that the Lord, he appoints the rulers. He he does that. And yeah, they, it's often for our judgment. It's we live in a in a time of a where a lot of sin is trying to be normalized. And and often people like that will elect leaders that'll support that, right? Yes. But he is in control and he's will be the ultimate judge of Justin Trudeau. 
I think in a, in a time like this, some of the biggest things that I, I would like to encourage pastors and churches to do is exactly as we saw with James Colts, with Tim Stevens, with Jacob Riom, with uh, so many other pastors that we've come to know from Canada here that have stood over the last few years uh, faithfully, and, and that is continue to preach the word, proclaim the gospel, and ultimately, God is the one that can change hearts. He's the one that can remove the heart of stone from Justin Trudeau's uh, chest and, and mm-hmm. replace it with a heart of flesh. Absolutely. And he's the one that can remove the veil from his eyes. And so through a lot of these things, it's so easy to become frustrated. It's so easy to become angry and bitter and, and, and spiteful against some of these leaders. But we must remember, you know, and I think of, of Paul's epistle to the Romans and, and Peter's first Peter, you know, there, these, these men, these apostles are addressing the church in a very difficult time under a lot of duress and persecution. Mm-hmm. And, they call us to, you know, to submit to governing authorities. Yes, there's qualifiers in that. There's purposes for that. And I'm a firm believer that the government, the church does not need to submit to the government in regards to matters of doctrine or worship, because in that case, the church, uh, God has given the church elders to rule in that area, right? Right. But to live peaceably with them in such a way that, that our testimony does not get hindered. So even through protests like this, you know, if a protest even the trucker convoy, if it were to turn violent, if people were to start looting buildings, I would not support it at all anymore. Sure. Keep keep our Christian witness number one. Right. Share the gospel. Know that God is in control. Have rest in the fact that his purpose will be accomplished through this. And there's almost a bit of an excitement to know what will this what impact will this have on the church in Canada, knowing that God will work all things for good for those who love the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then to remember and just to have the courage to to speak truth, you know, the uh, the Bible is sufficient for all areas of life, and that includes the uh, the government institution, gov- governing institutions, and the church, the elders, the pastors are the ones appointed by God to proclaim the full counsel of God's word, which then includes to the governing institutions. Yes. So be bold in your witness, directing government. Be bold in your witness, even though they may not listen, and even though many might reject it. Be bold in that. Don't, right. don't stand firm in the areas that God has given the church. Absolutely. Stand firm in that. And ultimately, the gospel is number one. The Christ Christ died for sinners, and that includes uh, every sinner that will repent and believe in him. Right. And so we, we pray that God will remove the veil and ultimately change government's hearts, not just mandates, right? Yes. Well, I say amen to that. And uh, it is, Lauren, it's been a, a tremendous blessing to to speak with you and visit with you. And uh, we're praying for all of Canada and pray the Lord's blessings upon you and your family and the, the new church plant, Grace Bible Fellowship. Hopefully soon we'll be able to do another podcast episode with Mike Hoblin, and uh, that would be a, a blessing for sure. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been a, a joy. I've, I've enjoyed this. It's been a good conversation. And uh, yes. yeah, definitely we'd look forward to uh, teaming up again at some point for another interview conversation with you guys. Yes. Thanks again. Thank you. Mm-hmm. God bless. Man, that I knew things were bad in Canada, but I did not realize just how bad they were. I knew there was a lot going on, but I guess I just kind of thought maybe they were isolated incidents. But it seems to me that Canada has just completely lost any concept of conservative Christian government. And as that becomes more and more evident in Canada, I have to say I see the same thing happening in America. 
and we're just a couple of bad elections from being in exactly the same boat. And so, pastors, I think it would be uh, of your best interest to take what, what Lauren has said today and consider it and consider the way they've responded in Canada and be proactive in America and, and to take steps to ensure that we don't end up in this position. It's best to learn from our neighbors rather than to have to experience it ourselves. So on behalf of uh, Wade, thank you guys for joining us today. And I hope that this interview has been a blessing and encouragement to you. Most of all, I hope it encourages you to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ living in Canada right now. May God bless you.